Welcome to Cleft Talk, bringing you discussion on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association as part of CLEFA's Adult Services Programme. Proudly funded by the VTCT Foundation. You're listening to Cleft Talk with Kenny Ardwin and Nikki Davis. My name is Nikki Davis and I'm the Adult Services Officer at Clapper. And I'm Kenny Ardwin, the Adult Services Coordinator. Together we make up Clapper's Adult Service Delivery Team. Welcome to this month's Clef Talk panel discussion brought to you by Clapper's Adult Services Project, proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. Clef Talk is your opportunity to learn more about the topics that adults born with a cleft across the UK told us are important to them during the Adult Survey and Roadshow. We hope that you find our panel discussions both entertaining and informative. Remember that you can keep up with the Adult Services Project online, including watch or listen to this and other panel discussions again at www.clapper.com slash adult services project. You can also join the conversation on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Clapper adults. This month on the programme, we are discussing friendships and romantic relationships. These are things that you told us are important to you on the survey and in the roadshow. Today we hope to provide you some information so that you can make the most of life and the relationships with the people who matter the most to you. It is our pleasure to welcome our wonderful panel guests. We've got Heidi Williamson, Hi. Julia Cadogan and Nicholas Stock. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Would you start by please telling us a bit about yourselves and your backgrounds? Yes, certainly. So um, I'm Heidi and I work at the Centre for Appearance Research. I'm a senior research fellow and most of my uh, research work involves understanding um, what the experiences are, positive and negative, of those who have a condition that affects their appearance in some way, and then developing interventions and testing those interventions to support individuals who are struggling. Wonderful, pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. I'm Julia, Julia Cadogan. I'm a clinical psychologist and I'm a member of the Southwest Cleft Service, which means that we cover the whole of the Southwest region and travel around the region to, to provide support to families of all ages. So patients may be antenatal mums all the way up to maybe 70 years old, um, depending on uh, who comes through our doors, basically. So that's that's my job. Wonderful, and a pleasure to have you on board as well. So that leaves me. Uh, so I'm Nicola Stock, and I am also a researcher here at the Centre for Appearance Research. Um, and for approximately nine years now, my focus, my work has focused on uh, cleft lip and palate and other craniofacial conditions. Excellent. Well, oh, a very warm yeah. welcome to all of you. Yeah, welcome. Okay, so our first question goes to you, Nicola. <laughs> Lovely um, me. Yeah. So, our relationships with others, be they friendships, family relationships, or romantic relationships, are influenced by events that happen to us at an early stage. Can you explain how our child experiences may influence our relationships in adulthood? 
Yes, that's a big question to yeah. start with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, certainly. So there's quite a lot of research which suggests that many of these experiences are common to all of us, uh, whether we have a condition such as cleft or not. So things such as our gender, our ethnicity, culture, religion, um, the opportunities we're exposed to depending on um, our income or education and so on. Um, also, we know that having a good relationship with our parents um, bodes very well for future relationships. Um, and also, potentially, our experiences of teasing and bullying can have an impact. Um, and the quality of our friendships also can um, act as a, a positive buffer towards any negative experiences that we might encounter. Um, and then specifically looking at some research um, with people born with cleft, um, we know that other factors might be important too. So some of those could be, um, for example, how your speech affects your inter how you interact with other people. Um, potentially how your views of your speech and your appearance can affect how confident you feel in social situations um, and also how you adjust to the changes that surgery might bring to your appearance or speech as well. And I'm going to come to the sofa for the next question. Um, <laughs> those of you listening to the podcast are missing out on the wonderful scene that we've got <laughs> going on in here. It's comfy. <laughs> it certainly looks it. A significant number of people reported having experienced instances of bullying in their earlier years. And if we feel that our fingers have been burnt in the past, it could have an impact on our ability to get close to other people. Julia, how can we best support people to cope with bullying and build up confidence to form new relationships? I think what's very important is, um, and I've said this in another podcast, that we need to create an atmosphere of accessibility to the psychology part of the cleft services in this country. And I think we do a good job at doing that. So that we're visible, we're in the clinics, and people know how to get in touch with us if and when any issues arise in school because they've already met us, I think that helps them to feel confident about approaching us because of course, as we know, seeing a psychologist can have a stigma attached to it. So we try and normalize having psychology around. Um, and I think we're very privileged and, and uh, very lucky to have that available in the NHS nowadays because in many services, you don't see psychologists mm. unless you go to CAMS and you're referred to CAMS by GPs, etc. So quite difficult to access. Um, so I think being, being around and visible in clinics helps to create an atmosphere of uh, approachability and, and uh, so that we can try and nip things in the bud so that families will ring us and say, because they know me, Julie, I'm struggling, my, my child is coming home crying, he or she is being bullied uh, by other children around having a cleft, it might be to do with speech, hearing, appearance, etc. Um, and then we, we would get proactively involved depending on the extent of the problem. We might go into schools and talk to the staff. We might observe the child in the classroom. We might see the child face to face for a therapy session or several sessions. We might see the parents separately from the child and then together with the rest of the family. It just depends on what the needs are. But what's crucial is, is to uh, encourage the child to speak about what's going on in a very non-judgmental, confidential um, environment and to get to the bottom of what's going on because you always have to try and be impartial in these situations and really gather all the information that you can access not just from the child but from other sources particularly teachers teaching assistants are very crucial in these in these situations because class teachers often have huge classes of 30 children plus and it's very hard for them to know the minutiae of what's going on when they're not around in the playground etc it's often the teaching assistants who know a lot mm -hmm. about what's actually going on 
of course always include the class teacher and the head teacher as well if possible so that's that's how we work and always you know encouraging children to develop social skills and uh, confidence and talking to them about how they see themselves is very cru very very crucial and very important and also about the treatment plans that might be you know going on at the time with orthodontic treatment speech therapy plans around future surgery to their jaws and noses which they might be worried about because it's been brought up um, self-conscious about their hearing hearing is a big issue for children mm. with clefts mm. where the palate's affected and I think is often not mm. really listened to or, or thought about in, enough in cleft services in this country so there's quite a lot of push now to, to bring that in in line with all the other stuff that we do and I, I also think it's important to remember that appearance-related teasing is the most common form of teasing amongst young people. And uh, particularly if you're standing out looking different, it's something unusual, then you're more vulnerable than others. But very often it's, it only takes one or two experiences, negative experiences, to really have a big impact mm. on self-esteem. And often, you know, you might be getting 99 positive comments yeah. and only one negative comment but mm. humans tend to focus on the negative there's yeah. a negative yeah. bias so i think it's making people aware of that and making them focus on the very positive comments mm. that come from their loved ones and their friends and focusing on those so simple techniques might be thinking of three positive things you've heard at the end of the day um, and to sort of try and balance out some of the negative mm. stuff as well as mm. as julia says thinking about why people bully making sure that bullying is reported and individuals get the support they need exactly and recognizing that bullies are cowards i mean mm. you know they're, they're obviously yeah. struggling you know most often struggling with their own issues and mm. sense of inadequacies mm. Mm. that's absolutely right yeah. and i think you're exactly right in that we do tend to focus on yeah. the negative rather than we all, all do. All the positive things <laughs> that, that have been yeah. said to us. Mm. Mm. Uh, so this next one's for you, Heidi. Um, so people reported mixed experiences with their friendships. Most people reported being very happy with their friendships, but a proportion of people reported that they didn't have many or any close friends. What would you recommend people do to develop friendships? Um, I think the key thing is to um, expose themselves to opportunities to develop yeah. friendships. It's very easy when you have a negative experience mm. to withdraw um, and avoid circumstances which are exposing and that you know expose you to difficult, potentially difficult um, social situations. So the key thing is to meet, mm. increase your opportunities to meet new people who might share similar interests. Yeah. So engaging in social activities, maybe taking a, f a friend with you, a family member, a brother, a cousin, somebody that's trusted and then working on those positive relationships mm. and using your social skills. Yeah. So that's non-verbal skills, looking confident, acting confident, even if you're not feeling it. Mm. Um, uh, make it till you, you know, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, make each other, young people and adults alike really have positive, possibly pre-prepared um, statements to engage in conversation. Um, something that so they feel prepared when they mm. enter something when, when they're feeling socially anxious. Yeah. Nicola, I'm going to come to you for this next one. Lots of people worry, obviously, about making a positive first impression. And mm. um, you know, one example of that would be when turning up to something new for the first time. You know, perhaps a new hobby um, or something like that. From your professional experience, what would you say to people who are anxious about making a positive first impression? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you know, Heidi's strategy is uh, spot on, really. So. 
exposing yourself to um, new opportunities and, and new people is fantastic, but what if you feel apprehensive about mm. doing that? What can, you, what can you do? So I think an important thing to say is that it's very natural for people to stereotype. So when we meet someone for the first time, we like to put people in boxes. It simplifies mm -hmm. the, the thinking process yeah. for us, yeah. you know? Um, but actually what the research shows is that while in the first 20 seconds of meeting a new person, we might be focused on how they look, what they're wearing, maybe their speech, and other kind of obvious cues, what's actually key after this initial period is exactly what Heidi was suggesting. So things like eye contact, um, do you have a nice smile? Are you asking engaging questions? So it's really those kinds of behaviours that people ultimately remember. So it's, it's again, as Heidi said, building on some of those social skills mm. and focusing on those rather than the, the awkward first mm. stage. Mm. And I'd, I'd, also, I'd, al I'd also add that, you know, when you've had a bad experience in the past mm -hmm. and you're beginning to believe some of the negative comments, mm -hmm. your thoughts start to follow that pattern as well. Yeah. And you develop negative yeah. thoughts and negative beliefs about yourself. And in a way, people can become hypervigilant and start looking for evidence to confirm mm -hmm. the way they feel about themselves and their beliefs. So I think, again, it's important for people to recognise this as a normal human mm. um, experience yeah. and to be aware that sometimes they could check their beliefs and their thoughts and make sure that they're not unhelpful and that they can be you know, a little bit more open-minded to mm. the positive mm. um, affirmations that they get from others. Mm. Definitely. Mm. And again, you know, we're, we're biased towards the things that yeah. we think confirm our already yeah. held view yeah. and are very good at dismissing things that yeah. might challenge that view. Absolutely. Um, and if you're fearful of going into a situation, your body language will show that. Mm. Mm. Um, and Sorry. that would, you know, uh, the people that you meet will be equally anxious about mm. meeting you for yeah. the first time, so you need to put them at ease mm. sometimes with mm. positive body language, mm. good eye contact, mm. yeah. smiling, important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No one <laughs> resist a smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this is another one for you, um, Nicola. Yeah, but please chip in if anyone has anything else. Um, so a reasonable proportion of people mentioned that they felt too uncomfortable to ask somebody that they liked out on a date because of fear and rejection. As an assumption that the rejection would be due to their appearance, do you think that people are more likely to experience rejection if they have a visible difference? Mm, yeah, so I, I think that unfortunately rejection is probably part, again, of an everyday experience that we all um, yeah. <laughs> have to go through. I've certainly <laughs> gone through it myself. Yeah, same. Um, experienced it. <laughs> yeah, and then I think there's lots of reasons why that that experience might happen. Mm. Um, often it's actually nothing to do with, with you as a person. It, it could be down to lots of factors. So. Mm. But, I, but it, it's also um, understandable if people who have a visible difference then have a tendency to blame or focus that, that experience on their appearance. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I think it is a reality that some people do value appearance more than others um, and may reject people on the basis of appearance. Um, you could argue that perhaps it's better not to have those people <laughs> in your life at all, so mm. maybe that cuts to the chase. Um, but what we do know from the research, which is, which is fascinating, is that appearance is actually not synonymous with success or um, having a fulfilling relationship or experiencing happiness. 
Um, so an example could be, I'm sure we can all think of a celebrity or two that maybe objectively is very beautiful, but might not be perhaps very lucky in love, <laughs> thinking of some of the magazine covers that we see. Um, and then on the flip side, there are many examples of people who are born with conditions that affect their appearance or who acquire um, a visible difference later on in life due to uh, illness or injury. Um, and they have fantastic careers and long-lasting relationships and lead highly fulfilling lives. So mm. um, I think we can bust that myth a little mm. bit there. Yeah. Um, Heidi, I think one of the most frustrating things, of course, when we like somebody mm. romantically mm -hmm. is the not knowing um, how they feel and wondering what if. What advice would you give to someone in that situation and how to have that conversation. I would reiterate that these are common concerns for people of all ages, mm. irrespective if you have a condition that affects your appearance. Um, but if you have had a bad experience in the past or you're self-conscious about your appearance, that could be doubly, you know, it could be worse. And those negative thoughts can dominate and influence your the way you behave um, and your reticence for experiencing rejection. So you don't want to put yourself forward. Um, I would say that it would be helpful before you go straight into that question of do you like me to get to know somebody to start slowly um, build up you know experiences of spending time together um, there's nothing wrong with flirting it's a good way of using non-verbal skills to get some sense of whether somebody feels um, the same way that you do so a good eye contact leaning in facing forward um, if that's reciprocated then you could move forward to you know maybe touching somebody gently on the arm it's a very personal thing again if somebody reciprocates then there are indications that they like you and you might move forward to asking somebody for a drink or maybe to an event where you have something you know a shared interest or something um, and I think from that point on communication skills are essential so that's about sharing a little bit about yourself learning about that other person seeing where the shared interest values thoughts are and then at that point you're getting some information back mm. and you're maybe in a position of confidence to ask whether you want to the individual f feels romantically inclined towards you and then you're in a better position to get some information mm. certainly and I think keeping in the back of your mind all the things we've just mentioned about mm. you know if you're not getting that answer that you're hoping for mm. and to not kind of let it shape your future interactions mm. with other people yeah as well absolutely rejection mm. is always a possibility mm, yeah. and that's something that we all you know risk whenever we're embarking mm. on any sort of mm. relationship yeah. someone might not like you in the same way that mm. you like them mm. but I think the thing is not to ruminate on that um, and to recognize that you know that's the point where you go and seek out all those positive relationships from people who are important to you your significant others your friends distract from that mm. respond to it positively graciously um, because you don't want to you know interfere with any potential relationships that you might gain through mm. them but you know people don't always feel the same way that you do but it doesn't mean that they don't like you or they're judging you based mm. on your appearance That's exactly I, th right. I think um, sorry to interject no. but I think coping with rejection is something that you know most of us have to learn mm. <laughs> and it takes it takes experience it and, does you know uh, a few knocks maybe to find mm. your way of coping and that's very often about identifying people you trust enough to speak to about how, how, you're, how you've experienced the most recent rejection and how to cope with any future attempts to mm. you know, become closer to somebody um, and how you deal with that if, if that didn't go very well. Mm. So I think that's something that we all have to learn and it's, it's, you know, it takes practice and confidence and yeah. knowing who you can trust and who you can speak to. 
Definitely, and I think you know one of the things I've found <laughs> over the years <laughs> is that everybody you speak to will have a story of rejection of their own that they can share with you as well. It's something mm -hmm. that we all as humans have yeah, to go through, unfortunately, yeah. at some point in it's some scenario. Absolutely. Yeah, part of life. Okay, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so this question is to um, all of you. Um, so, yeah, sadly, one of the realities of life is that you can have that conversation and not get the answer you want. What strategies would you suggest for dealing with that disappointment? We kind of covered that one, haven't we? I yes. think it's a point. It's it's about accepting that that might happen mm. and, and and responding graciously. And and you know, it can be tempting to be angry or disappointed and mm. to, to reveal that. But respond uh, positively. Accept that somebody doesn't like you in the same way, but don't mm. let that ruin your potential to be a friend mm. with that individual. And again, seek out the positive. Um, relationships yeah. in that yeah, short yeah. term and don't <laughs> ruminate too much don't overthink mm, yeah um, and try and find reasons why you've been rejected mm. it might just simply be that you're not suitable mm. um, as a pairing rather than something to do with your appearance or any other factor that's mm. personal yeah yeah I think it's finding things that you have in common with as well isn't it yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. you know Absolutely. people like so many different things so it's just mm. yeah mm. <laughs> On the other side of that, of course, mm. someone may approach us and ask us out and we don't necessarily feel the same way. That can obviously be particularly tricky if that person is a friend and we don't want to hurt their feelings. What pointers, Heidi, do you have for handling that situation? I think that's one to all of us, not <laughs> 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 just me. Um, it's, these are good communication skills, I think, mm. and um, I would from personal experience, I think you, you want to treat people like how you would mm. want to be treated that in, that, role, yeah, yeah. in that, those circumstances <laughs> um, and let people down gently and respectfully. I, th I don't think you can do it much more than that. I don't have yeah. any research yeah. evidence yeah. to support no, but <laughs> anything I, else. Mm. I think it's just good communication skills and yeah. saying things with a smile and, and respectfully. I yeah. think you're exactly right, and, and yes. you know, acknowledging that friendship that's already there, yeah. as we've mm -hmm. mentioned before, with dealing with rejection, but also in in this scenario, I guess, acknowledging the place that that person's coming from, and yeah. how you know you may well have been in that situation mm. yourself before, and know how how that can feel. Mm. Um, Julie, this one's for you. So, a number of respondents, particularly women, reported that they were staying in relationships which could be described as abusive. They said this because they felt that no one else would want them or they felt they couldn't do any better or they didn't deserve any better. What would you like to say to those people? Well, I think my first um, point would be to kind of really talk to speak to them in a very sensitive, careful mm. way. Um, again, respecting confidentiality and unless I was worried about their safety, and I always say that at the beginning of sessions, as we all do, in my profession that you know we if we're concerned about somebody being hurt or or attacked or whatever we would have to have an understanding that i would have to relay that information to whoever's already involved with with that woman maybe it could be a man of course um to the gp and and other services mental health services if they're mm -hmm. involved or whatever um or any psychologists or counselors who may already be seeing that person um but yeah, safety would be the, my first my yeah. first uh, port of call really, and then after that, I would facilitate um, a conversation about what is actually going on, 
And you know, if if I need to, I bring other people into that conversation mm. um, who may be already working in domestic violence or abuse. And I would be very, um, very much wanting to make sure they knew who to go to for further advice. So it might be organisations like Refuge or Womankind or mm. the NHS actually have a very good section on their website as well about. Yeah. Um, for healthcare professionals and for patients who are actually ex people who are experiencing abuse, so I would make sure they have that information in mm -hmm. writing, um, and would make sure I write a letter. So, you know, making sure I include the information that he or she is wanting me to include. Yeah. Um, you have to do it with a great deal of sensitivity, yeah. and you know, the more experienced you are, the better, really. Mm -hmm. And make sure you, if you're not experienced, you go to your manager and speak to them about about how to handle the situation mm. if you work in a big in a in an NHS uh, environment um, and make sure you record information um, yeah. sensitively but um, yeah that would be my first thing I want to do and then second thing sorry and then after that then in, in terms of the how the cleft is actually relevant that would be my third mm. area that I want to explore with with the man or woman to mm. find out if this anything that um, has ha maybe happened to them which has impacted on the way they chose their relationships because I have come across patients who've been who have experienced teasing and bullying when they were younger mm -hmm. and it has impacted on their self-esteem and confidence and hasn't really given them the tools to choose the right types of partners who, who actually provide warmth and care and love and safety uh, to them and then they, they might get in involved with people who, mm -hmm. who can who can be abusive and, and, and cruel. So mm. that's where I would perhaps see them for therapy around the cleft-related issues. Yeah. But anything else, obviously, I would have to consider referring on yeah. in the right way. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. So now, Nicola, our survey showed that people were meeting prospective partners in a variety of different ways, um, including online dating, which was becoming increasingly popular, um, as we know it also is in the general population. When chatting with matches on dating apps, people often reported being unsure at which point to disclose that they had been born with a cleft. What advice can you give on this? Yeah, so I think actually I'd like to draw on some research from Nick Sharrett, who's at the Centre for Appearance Research and who I believe you'll hear from in another um, panel discussion. Um, and his research shows really that different people find success using a variety of mm -hmm. different approaches. Um, so if we're talking about dating apps and online dating, for example, some people prefer to use a photograph in which the visible difference is evident um, or even state it in their profile description um, so that the challenge is more or less dealt with immediately. Um, while others prefer kind of to wait a little bit longer and disclose their visible difference at a later stage when they're in a, a situation that they feel comfortable in. Um, and I think Nick's research shows really nicely that there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, there's no correct approach. It's really about using the approach that you feel most comfortable with and choosing the time and place to do it. Um, and Nick also had a, a really nice thought that um, because for some people who do choose to include it on their profile, they actually experience that they get less likes or fewer messages. Um, and the way that Nick kind of encapsulates that is that the rejection, maybe see the rejection as somebody helpfully eliminating themselves from your life rather than you eliminating themselves from um, 
themselves from yours. So I think um, that's a really nice way to look at it. You're basically cutting to the chase. You know, you're immediately cutting out those people that maybe are not best suited for you. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Filtering them out of that. that <laughs> yeah, so they're filtering yeah. themselves yeah. out. Exactly. <laughs> so they're doing the job for you. Yeah. 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 So if there's a lot of expectation, Julia, from others for everyone to be in a relationship. What can parents? families and friends do to support people in their current relationship situation? Um, well, I think normalise it, like we've, we've talked about, mm. you know, we all go through experiences of rejection, relationships breaking down, not lasting as long as you'd hoped. Um, so maybe putting, making sure that people see themselves in the bigger context mm. of just, you know, not necessarily a person with cleft, but a human being who, who has to go through these experiences and hopefully learn from them and tool them up to deal with any future challenges they might face. So that's where family and friends could be really helpful just to re what we call reframe what's happened mm -hmm. and make sure they, f they do get the help they need to kind yeah. of pick themselves up and, and move forward. So that would be our sort of impetus and, mm -hmm. and focus really. Yeah. Definitely, and I suppose avoiding those sorts of um, like awkward, particularly around Christmas time conversations yes. where people get harassed for mm. once again not uh, bringing someone else to the, the Christmas dinner table. And mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that person is acutely aware themselves of um, you know if they are desiring a relationship that um, mm. that isn't something that's happened for them at that point mm. in time without needing others to uh, necessarily to remind them, them of mm. it. Bridget Jones comes to mind. Now, Nicola, a number of people reported that they had a desire to have a partner, but they were content to take their time to find the right person mm. for them, which seems like a sensible strategy. Can you tell us how you can still make the most of life without having a partner right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I, uh, this is just drawing on, on personal feeling, but uh, I think it's about being comfortable with who you are. Um, and where you're at in your life. So as we've been saying, uh, engaging in activities you find enjoyable and rewarding, uh, pursuing your own personal goals, um, and placing emphasis on, on your own needs really, um, so that when a partner does come along, it's more of a bonus. So they're adding to something to your life rather than completing it. Um, so. And then I think drawing on some of the research that we have uh, from the Centre for Appearance Research and some of our colleagues, um, adults born with cleft have shown that they may take longer to find a partner, but actually they report more satisfaction with those relationships once mm. they have found them, um, which I think is a really important thing um, to note. Um, and that some of the qualitative research we've done, so some of the interviews we've done with adults, um, they shared that that was because they felt they were more certain about who they were, what they wanted from a relationship, what their boundaries were, um, and they felt confident that they found someone who really liked them for who they are mm. and not simply what they look like. Yeah. Mm, positive experiences. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay, uh, so one of the fears, Heidi, that some people have is a worry that they might lose their friends or their partner. Despite there being no reason to suggest that would happen, can you explain why some people might feel that their relationship are more insecure than they actually are? We've, we've talked a lot about the risk to um, people's self-esteem and mm. developing low self-esteem. And I think if people are struggling in that way, 
um, they're more likely to experience unhelpful or negative thoughts about maybe how worthless or undeserving they are or maybe attributing their relationship to good luck or fortune mm. rather than recognising that individuals have chosen to be mm. with them mm. for all the qualities and strengths um, that they have. So I think it's important for people to be aware that these mm. feelings, thoughts can get in the way and make you a little bit more suspicious about your, the quality of your relationship. It's important to recognise that your loved ones are actually with you through choice mm -hmm. um, yeah. and um, to consider that yeah. in a little bit more detail. Yeah. I think that's really important as well and I think you know, we spoke about it a little bit right at the back at, at the start of the series in the self-esteem one. Yeah, we did. That can be really challenging I think for, for partners as well because obviously they see you um, you know, as that person that they, they love and they understand all the reasons why they're close to be with you mm. um, and then if you're not able to recognise that for, for yourself, mm -hmm. that, that can be really challenging mm -hmm. yeah. um, all round, really. Mm -hmm. um, finally, Julia, uh, managing friendships and relationships obviously can be really difficult, as we, we've discussed, um, but fortunately the CLEF team is there to help with, with this stuff. Um, what support is available from the CLEF team regarding friendships and romantic relationships? I think it's important to remember that we have, a obviously, by definition, a huge variety of different individuals coming to see us at different ages. I think we, we may be thinking about younger adults very often when we've been talking about things, but we often get, well not often, but quite, quite a lot of older adults coming back into the service. And I think Nikki, Nicola Stock, who's here now, has done some really useful research talking to adults. Um, of all ages and I mean we might see people in their 70s as I said right at the beginning coming back into the service who may have had a long time of struggling with lack of confidence and when you speak to them in detail you might find actually they had absolutely no support when they were younger with friendships and relationships and I think if we did some more exploratory research into this area we might find that this might correlate with lack of psychological support that was available generally in society but also more specifically in cleft services which used to be basically um, a surgeon and maybe a speech and language therapist and no, no other professionals involved particularly. So I think hopefully we're trying to provide a model of care which is preventative and peripatetic so we're getting in there right from the start of when patients come on our pathways and as I said, normalise the, the idea of having a psychologist around mm. so that we can react and be proactive if any issues around friendships emerge. So that's the kind of environment that we want to create. Mm. And if friendships do are an issue for adults, then we, we would signpost them to the Clapper website, which is brilliant. You know, there's a lot of support there, which didn't used to be available, mm. and work alongside Clapper to enhance those services and vice versa, which is why we're here today, which is I'm greatly welcome. Um, and to make sure that we nip things in the bud. I think if you allow friendships to become a big issue and you don't intervene sooner rather than later, then it can be quite quite difficult to, to support people. So we try and give them the tools to provide them with the confidence to deal with any issues around friendships and relationships as soon as they can. Yeah, absolutely right. And it is great to see so much nowadays happening sort of prophylactically within the mm. CLEC teams. And, mm. um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, mm. from a very early age, we're, we're thinking about this and keeping an eye on it. Um, but of course, as you also mentioned, for people who are a bit older and have mm. a very different experience of the CLEC team, um, being aware that these services are now available mm. um, and that your past experience of the CLEF team um, may well not reflect um, what you would experience nowadays mm. with um, 
the benefit of much greater support and um, much more wraparound care. So we really would encourage people um, to get in touch with you guys. And um, full details of the CLEF teams are on our website as well. Can I just add a point to that as well, Kenny, if that's all right? So one of the really interesting pieces of research we did relatively recently was with adults who were born with the cleft, um, older adults, who wouldn't have experienced the standard of care that we have now. Um, so they went, they grew up with the kind of the old services Julia was describing, um, but then actually in adulthood they've chosen to then go back to the to the new cleft service, and so they've got really good experience of both um, pre and post um, changes. Um, and what was really encouraging was that um, all of the adults we spoke to said they'd found that the standard and coordination of care had really improved. They felt they were really involved in treatment decisions um, and that the inclusion of psychology in particular had um, really kind of been invaluable to them. So again, just to emphasise, please do go in and speak with the CLEF team. Um, you know, it could be a lot better experience than, than the experience that you mm. might have had. Um, maybe some memories of prior treatment. Um, you know, things really have changed and improved over the years. Definitely, mm. and I think, you know, a lot like what we were saying with, you know, fear of rejection and not letting mm. those experiences mm. put you off, um, you know, future experiences. Much can be the same with, um, you know, historic um, things that may have happened with the cleft team. Certainly Absolutely. do if people um, have a memory that's perhaps not particularly great, recognising that. Um, definitely people have learned from that and times have, have moved on. Um, so we certainly um, would encourage people to get in touch. Mm. And time certainly has moved on, and that is all we have time for this month <laughs> on the panel discussion. Um, thank you very much to you all for joining us, and thank you to you at home for joining us. We hope that you have found this discussion to be informative and useful for you. And remember that you can always access more information and listen again to this and other panel discussions on our website at www.clapper.com slash adultservicesproject. And I'm starting to sound like a broken record here that if this discussion <laughs> has made you want to find out more information on this topic, then please do contact your CLEF team. As I said before, all their information is on our website and they'll be able to support you. We'd also love for you to come and join us at the Adults Conference in Glasgow on Saturday the 14th of September. It promises to be an informative and enjoyable day and um, where we touch on many of these topics um, that have been discussed, discussed in the panel discussions and more. Um, you can find out more and secure your place today by visiting our website at www.clapper.com forward slash AC 2019. We'd also like to thank our lovely panellists. We've got Nicola Stock and uh, Heidi Williamson from the Centre for Appearance Research as well as Julia Kodogan from the Bristol Cleft team for joining us for today's discussion. As always a big, big thank you to you at home for joining us. And make sure to join us again next month when we will be discussing treatment decision making. Um, so that uh, certainly sounds like it will be an interesting one. But until then, take care. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. We want to know what you thought of the programme so we can make it even better. If you found this programme interesting, please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. Our next podcast and video is coming up at the end of next month. Check out www.clapper.com slash Clef Talk to find out what we'll be talking about next. You can also watch this and other panel discussions again on our website. And we want your questions to take to the panel, so visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions. 
You also can check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project, including a list of our upcoming programs and events at www.clapper.com slash adult services project and finally don't forget you can also follow us on twitter and facebook we look forward to seeing you again soon bye for now bye